And while we have a through line that states authorial intent means dick. Right. I don't want to have to have the same haircut you have, Dad. Sorry, forgive me. Harriet motherfucking tub. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be crawling to something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. JK. And, and she's uh, something So was was this before or after the poster and you vomiting all over the couch? <laughs> For those of you that can't see, Ed's eyes just crossed. That is fucked up. <laughs> but it's not wrong. and English teacher here in Northern California. And um, I had the opportunity uh, just a few days ago uh, to take something that I will confess I am self-conscious about and weaponize it in the service of justice. Uh, um, And Damien's chuckling, so he already knows what I'm talking about. But for those of you listening, um, I I have Dwayne syndrome, which uh, gives me a, a lazy eye. And it also allows you to smell what everyone is cooking. Yes, there is yes. that too, uh, which you know is an advantage uh, just in and of itself. But uh, I, I had the opportunity uh, when I found out that uh, several of my students uh, were bullying another kid. Um, <laughs> I had the opportunity to uh, look each one of them uh, sort of in the eye with with one eye, <laughs> and say you know, I have a wonky eye, right? Are you going to, are you going to make fun of me for that? No, I I didn't think so. And then use that as a tool for making them all feel about 18 inches tall. And, um, it was, it was one of the most emotionally satisfying moments (laughs) uh, of my teaching career so far. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I have going on. I I use it for great justice. Yes. It felt pretty good. How about you? Well, okay, before I get into who I am, I, my favorite thing is to to do is to take a weakness and make it a strength. And yeah. in many ways, you have done that. Yeah. So well done. Uh, number Thank two, uh, the the larger the longer part of the story is that you you uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grailed them, uh, which I really yeah. love because you kind of stared at them with the eye trailing yeah. off, and they didn't know where to go with that, which is yeah. very much the he has a wife, you know. So <laughs> I love that. Yes, I love yes. that. But yeah. Anyway, proud of you. Uh, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a high school U.S. history and uh, soon to be no more Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, mm. And my news is, okay, you know that I've been having the kids playing Star Wars, right? The the role playing yeah, yeah. game Star yeah. Wars. We've we've finished about a two year arc, two year campaign. Yeah. Um, 
wherein they started in uh, 4,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. Yes. And I used the comics as huge uh, jumping off points. And I would put them off to the side of major things happening in the comics. And I had them both read the comics to get used to the world and the, the time. Because my son mm-hmm. wanted to be a Wookiee Jedi. So it's the only time you could be. Even though there weren't Wookiee back then. I worked that in. You know, you're on the margins. Okay. You're always on the margins. Mm-hmm. So when the big battle with Exar Kun is happening on Yavin 4. And all that's happening with the Masasi and all that kind of stuff. Like... I made sure that they were running like a a co- covert operation to shut down a fleet killing uh, weapon mm-hmm. before it fires on the fleet so that Nomi Sunrider can do her thing. And that's yeah. why in the comic you saw her do her thing because they didn't get blown up, you see. Yes. Um, so a lot of doing that, uh, they fought uh, on the Battle of Ossus. Like my son's uh, character picked a fight with uh, the, uh, the, the Mandalore and... Uh, yeah, and because Mandalore kind of goes off screen for a little bit while they're on Ossus, and so right. I, I yeah, did yeah. that. Okay. So they, 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 the, the. I'm doing this as short as I can. The, yeah. the big bad evil guy was a Zabrak Jedi. Turns out that Zabrak Jedi was actually a security droid. Who I borrowed this from you, um, or I borrowed it from Isaac Asimov. Mm-hmm. Who realized the safest thing for the entire universe was to end all Force users completely. So he and nice, and nice, so they, they break nice into his lair. Five laws. I love yes. it. Um, they break into his lair. Julia notices that he's not breathing and they both notice that there's gas hissing in and she puts it together that he must be a droid of some sort. Um, sure enough, he is. And he is talking about launching this dark side force creature that will destroy and devour everything. And then and then only he will control the force. And then he'll end that, and then the whole galaxy will be safer. Um, which I honestly maintain it probably would have been true, but it uh, doesn't mean you get to justify genocide. Yes. So, um, so he does that, and the only way they can stop it, and William realizes this after they they beat the uh, the big bad evil guy. Uh, he laughs. He's like, "It's already done. You can't even stop it. There's nothing that can stop him." Look, and he points to like this membranous bulb. That's got the dark side energy thing in it. And William realizes if if he and the other two characters go in there and activate their, you know, one of their force powers, then maybe that could like staunch it and just keep it there in suspended animation. And that's exactly what they do. They wake up and I I asked my kids weeks earlier, um, what's your favorite era of Star Wars? And of course, everybody's favorite era is the one that came out when they were kids. Yeah, my kids at seven, eight, and nine. So they wake up, and I start describing everything. And within a, a few descriptions, my son's like, "We're on Star Killer Base," and Julie's like, "No way! There's no way you could be on Star Killer Base. Like this was four thousand years before." And blah blah blah. And then, like it, everything's shaking, and they they break out of the membrane, and and uh, you know they've got these tremendous headaches, and and they look around and they see this silver polished armored woman come out covered in garbage barking orders at white armored guys who they all have this sinister grin on their face um and then they make their way to like this large shaft because remember she got put in the uh the trash compactor Mm -hmm. um then they make their way out to this large shaft um and they see a young jedi male stab an old man through the heart and throw him down the pit and then they hear a wookie scream and william's character is a wookie so I pull him into the room and I'm like, here's what the guy said. He said, Han, no. 
Um, and and my daughter failed her language check. And then I said, and then you see two spacers, a woman and a man up at the top. And she's wearing a jacket that's too big for her. And uh, and she screams no. And then they retreat. And then you guys start to feel the building shake. And and they, they go out and they find their ship, which has been uh, retro upgraded, that kind of thing. Mm. And I said, you see it guarded by several of these grinning, you know, soldiers, um, because the the helmet the looks shape like grin. Of the helmet, yeah. And uh, they they stand to attention. It's, Who are you? Show me your identification. And my son has always botched the role on Alter Mind, where you don't need to see my identification. He mm. makes the role, so he finally gets to do that. They get aboard their ship. And it turns out Hux has been refitting this ship to be his own hot rod, an escape vessel. Um, so they get their uh, ship back, basically, right? Nice, nice. And as they leave, I say, you see a disc-shaped ship taking off, followed by cross-shaped ships. And uh, okay. uh, and then, you know, on the other side, you see a ship where it looks like it has two ears that are flapping up toward the top of itself. And nice. it takes off nice. in a different direction. And then the planet blows up. And then, of course, you hear the the laughter of the dark side creature that is finally been released. Oh, and I shit. had the music queued up perfectly and I hit play and it was the, the finale music. Nice. And that was their thing. And well done. Thank you. What's wild to me is like, number one, they're digging it, but they also want to take a break because it was so emotional for them. But number two, uh, my daughter asked, she's like, how did you do that? And like the honest to God truth is the same way anybody else does jamming. I said words. Yeah. And you just happened to believe them. Like if I turned around and said, and you grow wings out of your ears and turn pink, then that happened in the world too, because it's just as valid as the other made up things that I said. Yeah. But at the same time, they saw everything. So it was, it was really cool. So very, a, very cool. Yeah. Sorry. I took the lines. Yeah. No, time no, no, don't. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. That's a condensed That's version. Awesome. So when last we left, yes. the the uh the sad Muppets, um the <laughs> the deep Muppets. Uh yes, yes. Speaking of speaking of uh resistance against uh fascist forces. Right, the Antifa and, Muppets. And yeah, you know. <laughs> so we uh I need a t shirt. Oh my god! I need a black T-shirt with yes. white lettering. It just says Antifa Muppet. I, oh no! Better I, yet, like Kermit's face. Yeah, with an A. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. And then like uh, you got to get Fozzie's face in there for like the the E for Muppets or something. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um. Oh man. Oh. Anyway, so in episode six, yeah, Celadon actually thinks that she's the All Madra and she sits on the throne, right? And you yeah. remember. Uh, lore bursts through it and stares her down in his i believe i called it the the anthropo anthropomorphized rocks stare of judgment right yeah 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 so he does that now uh that's not the end of the episode uh as i recall um the general was there and he was saying you know we need seven volunteers to fight the aratham right Right, right, right. And he was carrying on that lie, and really, they were just going to drain the shit out of people and be like, "Hey, sorry, they they died faithfully. We need seven right. more." Yeah, right. And that would just, you know, which from a mafia perspective, that's the way to go. You know, well, you only yeah. want five percent, just enough to wet my beak. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. 
but instead and literally because they're dipping it in the yeah yeah that's that's a good but unfortunately the skexies are way too greedy and so they want they want it all and they stab the shit out of the almadra because she says you know she does the no more no more no more um, yeah declaration of independence so the general and the master of ceremonies or the ceremony master i guess um, they're riding back with the seven that they're going to devour. And those seven are in fucking cages. And these were like the paladin types. These were like the 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 cream of the crop, the the mm-hmm. the, the most defiant. Best um, of the best of the best with honor, yeah. sir. Because because uh there's some Skeksis who think that uh you know the, the essence will taste better if it comes from defiant gelflings. So there's Okay. Which is interesting because you remember when we talked about V and we talked about, you know, the blood libel and the babies. Yeah. And the, yeah. 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 So they are writing back and this includes Deet and Hup. Um, and Ryan steps out, uh, Rian steps out into the road and halts them. And he's like, he challenges them just one gelfling and they, they come to a halt. Um, he challenges the general to a fight because the general finally recognizes him. Oh, you're the one who ran away. He's like, I'm, I'm here now. Let's go, bitch. Um, and the challenge is actually, and that's a direct quote. Uh, no. Um, nice. nice. Um, and the challenge actually is a diversion. Uh, Rian knows that he's not going to win. Um, but if he can slow everything down and get the general away from the carriage, his friends can break everyone out. His allies can break everyone out. And just as he is about to get run down by the general, because the general's like, no, no, we're just going to run your ass over. Um, instead, Lore comes charging through and smashes into the carriage and knocks that shit to the ground. Um, and it keeps the general from running Rian over and it allows the, all the accomplices to break everything free. Um, and then each of them, like, they each grab a wheel. You remember the wheel of the roly-poly that was getting tortured? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they each ride them like they're like uh, unibikes and they, you know, go off. All right. So the general and the, the ceremony master, they threaten the Gelfling verbally as they're fleeing. And then Lore steps the fuck up and causes them to beg off and escape because he's a giant goddamn rock monster. How can you beat that? Um, and when they go to escape, they literally go around Rian. So they don't even want to fuck with him. And the fucked up part is this. The Gelfling that they rescued are still whispering about Rian, blaming him for what's happening. So Chamberlain's plan for propaganda worked. Remember, Chamberlain said we're going to blame everything on, yeah. on Rian. Uh, now, do you remember the summer of 2020? I, I hate to age this, but this podcast comes out after the summer of 2020. Yeah. Okay. Um. I mean, I, 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 I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're, you know, leading up to, but yeah, I, I, I do remember that summer. Well, there were 7,550 demonstrations that summer in 2,440 locations involving 15 to 26 million people based on which reports you follow. Okay. Yes. They were protesting uh, police brutality against black bodies for the most part. Yes. Of those, 220 had a record of violence or destruction of property. So 220 out of 7,550. 38 of that 220 were actual violence against uh, property, but the property was merely a Confederate statue. So of the 220, 38 were that. Um, So that leaves us with 182. Right. Okay. 
A hundred of those had far-right counter-protesters making a significant presence known by bringing guns and openly displaying them. Now, there's going to be some overlaps here. Yeah. 52 of that hundred, uh, or I'm sorry, 52 of the 182 yeah. had car ramming attacks aimed specifically at Black Lives Matter protesters. Yeah. A hundred of those protests, of those 182, specifically involved the KKK, the Proud Boys, and or the Boogaloo movement. <sighs> 30 of those 182. And again, there's some stacking up here, right? Because yeah. of those 100, I bet you, you know, the, the 52 that involved car rammings, there almost, were a significant... There, there's, yeah, almost that's, a that's a Venn diagram that's almost a perfect circle. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 30 of those incidents, those violent incidents of those 182 that aren't against Confederate document or uh, Confederate um, monuments. Yeah. 30 of them involve people directly engaging the counter Black Lives Matter protesters. So the people who were there to counter protest Black Lives Matter, 30 of those involved violence because people went okay. and said, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, you know, yeah. what, you know. Yeah. Now, like I said, there's some overlap. Now, at the time, Joe Biden, who was the candidate for presidency against a tangerine demon. Yeah. Um, he said that protesting police brutality is, quote, right and necessary. And, quote, the American response. But burning down communities and needless destruction is not. Violence that endangers lives is not. Violence that guts and shudders businesses that serve our communities is not. Okay. I'm going to give him a bit of a pass because he didn't have necessarily all the facts, although mm -hmm. because some of this, this report came out about 11 months later. Yeah. Um, or no, about seven months later, because I, I had this data as early as January or as, as late as January of 2021. Yeah. Uh, James Clyburn, the Democratic representative from South Carolina, said, quote, we have to make sure we do not allow ourselves to play the other person's game. Peaceful protest is our game. Violence is their game. Purposeful protest is our game. The looting and rioting, that's their game. We cannot allow ourselves to play their game. Breaking out a window will not contribute to that. Setting a fire, throwing stones at police officers, that's destructive behavior, which will not contribute to anything that will make this a better country and make a better future for our children and our grandchildren. Okay. Uh, again, on the surface, cool. Mm-hmm. Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago said that there was, quote, no justification for criminal behavior. For those who engage in the, this criminal behavior, let it, let's be clear. We are coming for you. Okay. Democrat Mayor Ted Wheeler of Portland mm. said, quote, when you commit arson with an accelerant in an attempt to burn down a building that is occupied by people who you have intentionally trapped inside, you are not demonstrating you are attempting to commit murder. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of those statements, except that they are not based on fact. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember there being an arson of there were like, no, there were bonfires there were in in, you know, but that's a, yeah. it's a stated place. That's a bonfire. Now, there were precincts that were set on fire. They were empty. Yeah. Um, there was one in Minneapolis, I want to say, uh, and I don't remember if I wrote this down, but uh, there was one in Minneapolis. There was one in uh, Milwaukee, um, mm -hmm. and I think there was a building in Portland, all of which were empty. People were not trapped inside. That is horseshit. Yeah. High profile Democrats fell all over themselves, as you just heard, to condemn the Black Lives Matter violence. 
the Antifa violence and any leftist violence at the 7,550 protests in the summer of 2020. The only Mm -hmm. problem with that is that (laughs) there is so little of any of that that it does not, it's it's odd to be condemning it. Mm -hmm. Considering how much it was proven and was known at the time, there was so much rightist violence. Well, and there was, and there was like, uh, I remember, I think it was Minneapolis. Oh, I'm going to get to that. Um, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. All right. Yeah. Okay. Tell me if I miss it. Okay. Um, the sitting president at the time, the tangerine demon <sighs> that he was, said, quote, the memory of George Floyd is being dishonored by rioters, looters, and anarchists. The violence and vandalism out of your fucking mouth. (laughs) The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left wing groups who are terrorizing the innocent, destroying jobs, hurting businesses and burning down buildings. You know, I love I love I love how how he fucking tells on himself Mm -hmm. in in the way he says that confession by accusation harming. Well, well, but but, you know, the first thing he says is harming the innocent. Yeah. And then everything else, literally everything else has to do with economics. Yes. He doesn't, he doesn't actually give a shit about people being hurt. No. He gives a shit about property being destroyed and capital mm-hmm. being lost. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what? You can't even, you can't even muster the cunning. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like to act like the Skeksis and make it, make it, you know, e- even make an attempt to make it sound like. Funny that, huh? It's it's the it's it's you know well you know, but the 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 people who are being harmed by this, right? You know the injuries, the bloodshed. This is right. just like, I, I don't know. Maybe part of that is that it would be it would be too easy to point out there there aren't actually any you know, like no there isn't any bloodshed, but I I don't I don't want to give him credit for for thinking that many steps ahead. I, well, I more know. cynically. If a person catches fire, it gets put out quicker. Mm, you can right. point to pictures and videos of buildings burning down. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Now, again, Age right. of Resistance came before all this happened. So I can't yeah. say that this led to that. But the parallels are really striking. By October of 2021, the Boogaloo Boys had admitted to posing as Black Lives Matter protesters. A thing which Black Lives Matter protesters were calling out immediately as it was happening in the summer of 2020, and nobody listened. This includes firing on a police station in Minneapolis, breaking windows at a Target. Remember the Umbrella Man? Was that the one you were going to bring up? Um, I was talking about the guy that uh, set started trying to set fire to a tire store. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who? If I want to say what I remember hearing was that he was an undercover cop. Mm Hmm. Yeah. So. Speaking of police riots, anybody? Mm-hmm. So Umbrella Man, uh, you do remember him, right? I do remember okay. Umbrella Man. Turns yeah. out he was a part of the Hell's Angels, and he was linked to the Aryan Cowboys as well, which is a white supremacist prison and street gang. Oh, lovely! So, oh. so oh, I'm sorry. So the Hell's Angels wasn't enough. No, you no. gotta, you gotta, you gotta go for like, no, no, no. The, the Hell's Angels is merely like a criminal enterprise. No, no, mm-hmm. I, I need, I need to, I need to go all the way, yeah, to join the criminal enterprise that's directly tied to the KKK. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Such, such, 
such wonderful people on both mm-hmm. sides. I don't actually know that Aryan cowboys are tied to the KKK, although I'm sure they get the same Christmas letters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. uh, subscribe to the same zines. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Police investigators, after interviewing him, uh, said that he helped he helped spark a bunch of looting that followed that was uh, that followed an initially peaceful protest because he quote wanted to sow discord and racial unrest. So, so you know, on a on a on a related uh-huh. note, uh huh, kind of kind of you know, as a as a personal anecdote, kind of, I don't know if backing that up is the right phrase, but I mean, you know, we live in a town where there were huge mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter protests. Yes, there were. I was at one of them. Yeah, and there were incidents like the the BLM folks mm-hmm. would be out and. What I remember was the the protests were all pretty tightly organized and controlled, and it was yep. we're we're all going to be out here, and then at roughly about nine p.m., yeah, the we're all going to disperse, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and then there were some issues where a number of protesters got uh, heddled by the cops, and and the police did all kinds of shady shit. But they fired non lethal rounds at people's heads. People yeah, were clearly marked as. Legal, uh, legal, legal advisors, aid, or le- legal observers, legal yeah. observers, as and well press. as uh, the press. Yeah, yeah. It's good time. and medics. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yep. and medics. Um, but you know, so so the the protests would would end at like nine p.m., and then there were people who showed up at ten thirty, eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. and they were the ones who showed up on the tails of the protest. Yeah. And I know there were there. I remember hearing interviews from business owners mm-hmm. the day, the day after like the first night of this, um, where, you know, folks just showed up and just like busted windows and just started looting. There was yep. no, there was no, no pretense even. Right. Of them. Like it was just, they, they were like, well, you know, uh, there's all this stuff going on. We're going to use it as they they were motivated to use it as cover. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely, I I wondered at the time, and I still wonder how much of that was just straight up. We're going to go out and and rob shit, mm-hmm. and how much of it was we're going to go out and rob shit in order to make those folks look bad. Because well, how much we know does there, there were need people. To be? Well, yeah, I know, yeah. but I guess my, my interest in, in that question just comes down to like, one of them would be bad enough. The other one is like it, another step toward the abyss, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and it's just something that has stuck with me since, especially after knowing about umbrella man and the guy with the tire stores in, in, I want to say, but I still want to say it was Minneapolis where he did it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, how, how much of this is actual agents provocateur and how much of it is just opportunists who are motivated by greed. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, and of course the problem is for everybody on the other side of the debate from black lives matter, they were, they still could point to, well, you know, look at what happened there. 
Right. Like, no, that's not the same fucking thing. Well, you know, right. it, was, it was the same night. You, oh, you look know, who's you, claiming conspiracy. Look who's yeah. claiming conspiracy. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Bad faith arguments will continue to use worse <sighs> faith arguments. So. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So the precinct that Ted Wheeler, Democrat mayor from Portland, piece of shit right. that he is, was talking about uh, <laughs> was an empty precinct in Minneapolis, as I told you about. Portland did not burn down a precinct. They had bonfires in their park, as I said. Yeah. Uh, the van that was torched, by there was an NYPD van that was torched. It was done after the police had run over protesters on purpose and after the unmarked vans were picking people up and forcing them to into vans. Remember that? Oh yeah, the the yeah. non non like they were wearing uniforms, but the uniforms had no markings on them. Right. They were so, as far as anybody could figure. They were some kind of feds. Right. And they so were the just rolling that... around, snatching people off the fucking street in unmarked vans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Not the van that much? was the van that was torched was already empty, but it was after those two things had happened with vans by the NYPD, where they actively ran people down. Yeah. In fact, oh, if and, you they, park... and they drove down the street spraying pepper spray out of their cars. That's right. Yeah. So if you parse out all the protests, you'll see that 90 of the 102 that had violence, which didn't involve rightist ad- agitation, had incidents of violence that were started by a more heavily militarized police force, not the people protesting. So get rid of all the ones that had rightists uh, agitating, right? Mm. That leaves 102. Of the 102, 90 of them were because of the police. The police started it. Which means that you are now down to 12 out of 7,550 that had spontaneous, non-defense, non-Confederate statue targeted violence and destruction by the people who are demonstrating in favor of Black Lives Matter. 12 out of 7,550. That's 0.15%. That's not even a quarter of a percent. That's not 15%. That's 15 one hundredths of a percent. Wow. In fact, digging deeper, between May 24th and August 22nd of 2020, there were more than 10,600 demonstrations across the country, and fewer than 570 of those involved demonstrators engaging in violence. And yet, 42% of those who were polled linked the violence to Antifa making violence, which is really weird because Antifa is not a group. Quote, <laughs> most, most protesters associated with the Black Lives Matter movement are trying to incite violence or destroy property. That was a quote from somebody who's part of that 42%. The anti- what the yeah. fuck? Yep. Because gray theory because two extremes except one extreme is can you please stop killing us and the other extreme is we, we want, want to genocide. kill you all yeah and yeah. so of course the truth must be somewhere in the middle so both About, extremes no. must be equally violent because one extreme is violent so the other extreme must be violent how about no assholes yeah The Anti-Defamation League has documented organized disinformation campaigns aimed at spreading a, quote, deliberate mischaracterization of groups or movements involved in the protests, such as portraying activists who support Black Lives Matter as violent extremists or claiming that Antifa is a terrorist organization coordinated or manipulated by nebulous external forces. And I really like 
nebulous external forces in light of all the other shit that I've done about V you know yeah. that that's three <laughs> steps away from anti-Semitic shit. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not even three dude. No, yeah. <laughs> it's a step and a half. True. And even that, the, that quote, um, it, it shows that the people who want to believe that stuff, right. And the, the, the deliberate mischaracterization stuff that that campaign is confession by accusation. Because on May 29th, 2020 in Detroit, a bunch of non-residents of Detroit traveled to the city to engage in violent behavior, which led to multiple arrests. Guess what they didn't support? Uh, I'm I'm going to bet uh, that they were uh, Honda fans. Right. That they, they didn't support American automakers. Right. No. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how many lives or what kinds of lives matter? You know, yeah. like they're going to say all oh, uh, that's why they did all the violence. And yet mm -hmm. during that summer, nearly 10 percent of Black Lives uh, Matter protesters were met with government intervention, which is more than triple what other demonstrations got a year prior, just before this series hit the airwaves. The government intervention on demonstrations was at only two percent. Only 2% of all demonstrations were met with the police. And yet 10% of the ones affiliated with the Black Lives Matter protests were met with the police, which is still triple everything else of that year. And this is still up by five times as many over the previous year. Oh, wait. Sure. Hold on. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of got, like, I wish I could say I was surprised mm -hmm. because I'm not mm -hmm. but I am kind of stunned at the degree of that difference mm -hmm. and I'm a little bit surprised the rate was as low as 2% uh, in 2019 yeah yeah Um. so so you're telling me the pink hat brigade mm -hmm. was was not met with any no concerted police. police force. You you have your standard, oh, we're gonna have a parade or a protest at this time in this place. Uh okay. by by standard, you have like one or two police officers every yeah. X amount of feet, right? Yeah. Um, that was it. Um okay. and very often it's people who are picking up overtime. Yeah. Uh, because it's easy duty, etc. Yeah. Fewer than 30 of the total protests in in July of 2019 uh had uh had police. Uh, confrontations in July of 2020, 170. Jesus. So, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I've the question forms in my mind, and I think, well, yeah, Ed, duh. <laughs> but, but I'm going to ask it anyway because sure. I think you know, answering it is illuminating anyway. I mean, the question is, does the level of government and i put government in quotes because it's police response does the level of police response reflect the attitude of the institution of policing to the demands that were being made which is you know stop shooting black people for sport yes and i will i will put that back on government because the police are supposed to be reined in by the civilian government Yes. Okay. So, True. I mean, the police yeah. technically are civilians themselves. So, yes. But, um, yes, 
yes, yes, yes. Because the, the amount of effort that was spent on making sure that police officers wouldn't lose their jobs when they were brutal uh, and, and on and on and on. Uh, the amount of effort that was spent on making sure that police departments were exonerated from the violence and it was just a few bad apples kind of stuff is is, is legion. Now, in 2020, there was a lot more action against the Phantom Antifa Army, too. I'd even call it an hysteria. In Yucaipa, California, Yucaipa, Yucapai? Yucaipa. It is Yucaipa. Okay. Yeah. There were armed folks defending their town from Antifa buses. And when Black Lives Matter protesters show up, they were accosted, tased, and beaten by counter-protesters, including the three percenters. The police stood less than 200 feet away and did nothing. Armed civilians stopped people in, uh, in, in cars in Clackamas County, Oregon, because they thought Antifa was setting wildfires. The police came out to support the armed civilians. Now, in both of these... There is no fucking Antifa army. But there has been a history prior to the airing of Age of Resistance. So even though these things occur after the Age of Resistance, I still maintain that these parallels are worth making because there was a riot at the demonstration in Berkeley in April of 2017 in which several neo-Nazi groups, far-right groups, and anti-Semitic groups, including the the founder of Identity Europa, who punched a female protester in the face and then ran away into the crowd like a courageous man, was just one of several protests turned riot that year in Berkeley about this to varying degrees of violence from both sides. Was that when uh, Yiannopoulos, what the fuck was his first name? Yeah, uh, it was that same year. Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos. Yes. Yeah, that okay, same it was year. The he, same year, but it wasn't when he was scheduled to speak. That wasn't the same. That event. particular time, no, but okay. he did come and get scheduled to speak at several of the other ones that turned violent because oh, he was yeah, trying okay. to capitalize on that. So, Ooh, yes. Yeah. Um, almost immediately, Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat, Nancy Pelosi, <sighs> condemned leftist violence, specifically tying it to Antifa, while the Democrat mayor of Berkeley, Jesse uh, Arreguin, uh, said that Antifa Arreguin. was a gang. There was absolutely uh, violence from the left. I do not want to deny that. They absolutely were there. There was absolutely violence started on the left. I do not want to dispute that. That is indisputable in Berkeley specifically. But there was also plenty of the standard far-right stuff that was inciting violence, enacting violence, provoking violence. I would say that Nazis flying their flag is violence. And regardless, it is beyond arguing that the left absolutely acted with a tremendous amount of violence, even a professor getting involved with his bike lock. But... There's nowhere near the amount of criticism from Democrats when it comes to the right. They only criticize the left. They do not criticize the right. Um, And if they do, it's very, very vague all of a sudden. And that's definitely manifest in the Gelfling who are still distrustful of Rian, the militant, the fucking rescuing them by fighting guy. They look at him and they're like, oh, we don't know if we can trust him. Luckily, the upper class academic steps up and shames them. So it's not until the upper class academic, Bria, comes in and says, quote, he is no more our enemy than the Skeksis are our friends. To remind them, who just kidnapped your ass? Who just signed your life away? It wasn't Mm -hmm. him. He just rescued you. And that opens them up a bit to hearing Rian's message. Because yet again, 
the Gelfling, one of their uh, their their biggest weaknesses seems to be they're easily swayed. Um, and he says, quote, everything the Skeksis ever told us was a lie, but it's hard to recognize the light when you've spent your whole life in the dark. Mm. And at this, he offers with all of them to dream fast again, and they take him up on it because he has the support of the upper class academic who is respectable. Uh, this enables them to spread the truth far and wide, hopefully uniting the Gelfling of Thra so that they can all unite against their true foe, the international bankers. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> so. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> Not cool, bro. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, no, this is Gexies. All right, um, come on, Elon. No. <laughs> The paladins who were freed and dreamfasted with Rian made their way to the castle to tell the guardians of the lords of the crystal what has been up. So the Gelfling who have been guarding Ooh. the, the Skeksis right. finally hear what's up. And the guards are still talking the same talking points about Rian. Like once they get told, they're still like, yeah, but but his mind was poisoned and, and the Skeksis are our lords. And when they're faced with the actual truth, some of them actually change their minds. Especially the part about Mira, their fellow guard, remember? Yeah. Um, and the stabbing of the Almadra, that changes their mind. So it's, oh, oh, okay. But not all. There's still at least one who ends up becoming a little snitch bitch. Rhea and the rest of the main Gelflings head into the desert, where she finally collapses in grief, right? Because she just saw her mom get killed, and yeah. her sisters turned against her, and it's been a harrowing few days, and she's used to being an academic. Um, and that's not a dig on her. That's just yeah. a fact, right? Yeah. Everyone's exhausted and everyone's losing heart. And they set up a camp that night on the edge of the desert. And Deet, Deet uh, you remember the the under the underworld Gelfling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, shit! I forgot their names. Um, yeah, the Grunin. Um, yeah. She sits with Bria and or yeah with Bria and she helps her to start processing her grief. Uh, Deet offers to make a grieving ceremony up for Bria's mom, which is super gracious considering that Bria's mom at first uh, was like, I'm not going to talk to a Grunion. No, that's that's yeah. not happening. Kylan, uh, he is the friend of, uh, of what's his face's sister. Um, he's he's Naya's friend and Naya is uh, Gurjan's sister. Remember, Gurjan is the best friend of Rian. Uh, yeah, Kylan yeah. has yeah. Bria speak her words about her mother into something called a dream stitch, which he created. And it's a living thing. And basically it will float up and, and glow and it will carry her memory. It's kind of cool. You get like all the words mm -hmm. get carried on forever. So her memory will live on. Rian speaks up and shares how uh, his love and his honor of his father, Orden, who died, um, is with him. And that actually opens Bria up uh to things and then she starts talking about how her mother often said that she loved bria uh which is a direct contrast to what celadin grew up with unfortunately and celadin mm. did get the short end of the stick when it came to that because i have to raise her hard she needs to be mm. a ruler you know um kylan begins singing and then deet and bria and naya and hup and rian and gurgen all start joining in um and and hup is the most flat voiced uh but it just adds <laughs> a little to it it's so cute um, and all the different clans are singing in harmony and the dream stitch is going to remember all of it. And it's like the most tender scene. And I would be remiss if I didn't include that in this, because it really mm -hmm. is one of many, many scenes where it's just absolutely beautiful, which highlights the tragedy of the fact that we know 
at the end of all of we, this. We know how this ends. Yeah. Yeah. And this intercuts at the same time. You know, they do a lot of uh, cutting back and forth, which is good, with Celadon. Uh, or Celadon, sorry. Um, her mom, her mom's corpse is on a beer. Um, and she lights her corpse on fire saying, I loved you with all I had. I'm sorry it wasn't enough. And Celadon is completely alone here with her mother's corpse as it's burning. And she has no comfort. And she's completely trapped by her hurt and by her grief. So you have this remarkable contrast of, mm -hmm. of, of, of this tenderness and this community feeling. And then you have the one who stepped away. Remember, she, she bounced out of the dream fast. Mm -hmm. um, and back at the castle, the Skeksis are in full evil mode, right? They're torturing <laughs> and mocking and delighting in the Gelfling's terror at being drained, uh, including, uh, I believe, including the, the informant. Um, mm. Oh, that that might come later. I forget. Uh, and then uh, Celadon gets crowned. There's a whole cool ceremony to it uh, in, the, in the next scene. Um, and she has an argument with the other Almadras, right? So she sends out, um, I forget what they're called, with pieces of the crown to all the Almadras to let them know that the, or uh, to all the other Madras to let them know that the Almadra is dead. So now they come back with that piece of the crown. And whoever gets crowned, they put it back together for them. Okay. Kind of cool. I'll probably steal that. Um, she has an argument with all the other Madras. <laughs> so it's not an easy transfer of power. They're all supposed to return parts of the crown and affirm her legitimacy, and they don't. And it's largely because Madra Fom, uh, Madra Fon, uh, from the Stonewood Gelfling clan is wise to what the Skeksis are doing. And she has shared that with the others. Uh, and Madra Fon or Farah, Madra Farah tells Celadon that her mother, her own mother refused the Skeksis, which will always make Farah proud and that Gelfling will avenge her. And Celadon says, quote, no, the Skeksis are our lords. So she's 100% bought it. And then she doubles down, saying that her own paladins are spreading lies about the Skeksis, and the Skeksis must be obeyed. And Madra Farah, like, does not light up because she's seen what has happened with her own fucking eyes, and she tells Celadon that she's speaking madness. And Celadon's response is, I speak as the Almadra. And I think what's happened there is that she has been so cracked by her grief mm -hmm. that she can only see one way forward and it has to be obedience to the very people who have killed her mother because otherwise her mother died for nothing. Mm. It's that kind of thing. And there's a fight that has to happen for the crown now because you can trial, you can do a, a, a challenge and whoever does the challenge, they get to name the trial and the Stonewood and the Drenchen, Drenchen, uh, they withhold their approval. And the other three listen to Celadon's appeal to tradition saying that the Skeksis decreed it. And they're like, well, mm. well you know, it is tradition. Mm. So Celadon then claims it's her mother's crown, and so it belongs to her. And the other three Madras now say that they can't stand against the Skeks. They can't stand against the Skeksis, and therefore they have to go with the status quo. And they call out Madra Farah for being divisive when they should be standing together. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Madra Farah challenges her to a flying challenge called Trial by Air, which is a direct echo to Trial 
by stone. Nice. Um, which is a dumb fucking trial if you remember the trial by stone. Yeah. Well, you, whoever you gets the first it. two hit, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it it it, it uh, it's the parallel. Celadon rejects all of it, and she gets ready for the challenge. Um, and she dresses. Uh, and 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 well, Madra Farah gets ready for the challenge. Celadon de- uh, rejects it all, and they're like, "Well, then you're not the fucking Madra." She's like, "Oh, I'll be back. I will answer this challenge." And she goes and she gets dressed, and she dresses all in black, and like deep purple on her lips with a veil, and she walks back in looking like a Skeksis in Gelfling form. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like, ah, God, I don't know if, if, uh, Munchen came in with like orange spray tan. Yeah. And a diaper, you know? <laughs> nice. It would, yeah. 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 So, meanwhile, back at the castle, Chamberlain's back and he finds the gourmand peeing on the wall. And it's a really gross scene because the gourmand is peeing on the wall and clearly he's having trouble peeing. And I mean, we've both held it way too long and like, it comes yeah. out and you're like, come on, come on. And then it's like, oh, well, then he gets two streams and we both had the streams split before. Right. But to him, it seems like a, re- a relief instead of a moment of panic. And then he's like, come on, come on. And oh, and then a third stream comes out, which implies that they have kangaroo penis. OK, kangaroos have three dicks. Yeah, I, I, I knew oh. that. That's okay. that's not. Yeah, that's that is not the source of, of the tone of my oh. remark. <laughs> no, just the oh, all right, yeah. we're going there. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Commit to the to commit to the bit. All yep. right, all right. So the castle's Damn. unguarded. Uh, the the Gorman finished peeing, and he reports to Chamberlain that the general killed the Almadra, which led to a rebellion of the guards, which the Skeksis defeated because the Skeksis are really big and badass, apparently. And now they're all going to drain all of the guards. Uh, Chamberlain is slow is and really I think a rebellion would have worked but for that one little snitch um, Chamberlain is shown to the banquet where the Skeksis are all discussing how delicious the essence is as they drink all they can of it and Chamberlain tells the Skeksis that the Stonewood clan are an open rebellion and the Emperor immediately blames this on Chamberlain uh, saying you failed to bring back Rian and that's what caused it Chamberlain goes on this long rant about how order is upended and that the pretense is impossible to keep like this. And the emperor actually rebukes him and says that the general, quote, has set us free. Never again will the Skeksis have to bear the burden of pretending to care for these useless Gelfling. I know. I I also thought, like, holy shit, he sounds exactly like Ivana Trump. Um, wow. Or Ivanka, rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. Holy. Yeah. Because they're full on evil now, right? They're drunk yeah. with power and My they're like, God, we just put down a rebellion and we're drinking them too. Um, and the general shouts, we will take what is ours without games or pretense. And the emperor shouts, we will rule forever. Well, shit. Do you remember that time where Trump tweeted an edited video set to Edward Griggs in the Hall of the Mountain King? Not off the top of my head. Well, it's only a couple hours after E. Jean Carroll accused Trump of sexually assaulting her in a department store dressing room in the mid-1990s. Uh... And it showed yard signs of uh, Trump campaigns 
Trump 2024, 2028, 2032, 2036, 2040, 2044, and so on and so on. You don't remember that being set to boom, 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 boom. No, I don't. Yeah, he retweeted somebody's animation of that. Okay. Yeah. So number one. Yeah, yeah. Number one. Sure. Like, first off, Mm -hmm. some shithead Mm -hmm. made that video in the first place. Yes. Second off, mm-hmm. some motherfuckers have made campaign signs. Oh, this is all digital. Trump. Oh, this, okay. It was all digital. okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the yeah. rabbit hole does not go quite as far into the mouth of madness as right. I was afraid to right. cross a couple but of Trump literary did metaphors. Retweet there. it. Yeah, but but then Trump took that mm-hmm. and retweeted that. Yes. As a as a boast mm-hmm. and and a display of bravado in yes. the face of the Constitution. Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Like, like yeah. wow. I am the Senate. Actually, because I'm a history nerd before mm-hmm. anything else, the first thing that occurred to me was l'état c'est moi. Yeah, yeah. That's the second one that came to mind <laughs> like, for me. <laughs> and then the second one was i am the senate yeah so we're just yeah. we're we're flipped we there. flippy but, floppy but yeah. yeah oh hey absolutist much yeah oh, fuck like, yeah holy okay so then the general uh says that stonewood's defiance is all the excuse they'll need to clear out the gelfling out of all the villages and into their larders and he says they're larders uh and they mock chamberlain out of the room like <laughs> Okay, so question. Sure. Is Chamberlain Bannon or Miller? He's kind of a mix or... of a bunch, but I believe we talked about earlier he is absolutely Bannon. Okay. Yeah, he's primarily right. Bannon. Primarily yeah. Bannon. All yeah. right. Yeah. Emperor, so, of course, being Trump. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, is General Pillow guy? Uh, No, I think General is uh General Flynn. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay. So at the edge of the nose, but there you go. Yeah. At the edge of the crystal desert, the heroes of Thra meet the Dusan clan. Uh, They're very clearly Arabian. Uh, They paint themselves very fiercely. They're the only clan that's actually been banned from service in the castle, Uh, which, you know, Muslim ban. Um, And, and Rian is absolutely falling back on old prejudices. Uh, Bria accepts their offer regardless of Rian's objections. Um, and remember, they're the ones that actually don't have the stupid fucking gelfling uh, bangs. They actually pull their hair up. Yeah. Uh, and then you get back to the trial by air and Celadon shows up at the last minute, making her entrance with her new self-made crown and black veil. And she straight up refuses the challenge. And Celadon says that the old crown is soiled and that the living crown is a sad relic of a failed rebellion. Quote, that's why I forged a new crown. She's self-appointed because she didn't like how the results went. This show predicted January 6th. Well, I mean, in fairness, you look at any kind of fascist regime. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people predicted January 6th, to be honest. (laughs) It was not hard. Like, a lot of people were like, are you you serious? You really think it's going to end in flames? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I I do think there's a, a pretty good chance. 
that after yeah. the election and he if he loses the election it still might be the last one um yeah. so you know i was wrong by a bit but so celadon claims legitimacy because she was named by the skexis which you know if you get named by an outside power as the 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 president yeah you know um farah again points out that the skexis are draining gelfling and celadon dismisses this as quote lies fake news jesus Vara swears justice and that she'll be the new Almadra. Celadon, you will bow. Farah, I will never bow. Celadon, then you will crawl. And she sucker punches Farah, throwing her through the old crown and its stand, shattering the old crown, and then says, quote, This is the discord my mother has sown. This is the inevitable end of rebellion. Gelfling turned on Gelfling. We stand on the brink of anarchy. With all the awareness of a dog licking itself in the middle of presence on Christmas morning while grandma's here. <laughs> so, like, okay. she does all that. And then she's like, See, look, Gelfling fighting against Gelfling. It's like, you fucking punched her. Like, yeah. You threw the first punch. Um, look, this Antifa violence. Mm, mm -hmm. Three of the Madras simply stand by. One of them goes to Farah's aid. And then Celadon, here's the, the exchange back and forth. Bow before me, Madra Farah, and together we will pro prove our loyalty to the Skeksis and snuff this fire before it burns us all. As you burned your mother. Celadon then summons the paladins to throw Farah out. Farah and her ally from the Dusan clan actually leave, telling the rest of the Madras that they're all lost. So they're like, we can see ourselves out, and you're all fucking lost. Celadon mm. uh, then turns to the three and says, quote, and what will you three choose, order or chaos? And one of them says, this is not the Gelfling way. To which Celadon responds, it is now. And then they all bow to her. Wow. Yeah. I can order. order. What's that? the the appeal to order mm -hmm. and like, again like they they didn't do a head count and be like we outnumber her we could literally just beat we her could, we literally just kick the shit out of her right, right here so how about how about the challenge of my size seven right because gelfling like right. you know yeah yeah they're, but, they're little <laughs> like yeah how about how about how about the 10 knuckle challenge how about mm -hmm. that mm-hmm so that happens. Jeez. Now, I can only imagine that this is how many of Bernie's supporters felt when Hillary got the nod, to be honest. And then again, when it was clear that he wouldn't get the nod the second time as well. It's it's hard to want to show up when you get burned twice like that. Luckily, there's not any kind of existential threat to show up to fight in 2020. So that kind of opting out is totally healthy and has no bad effects. Huh. Yeah. But also, this does have big Kristen Cinema vibes to me too. Comes in with new makeup. Yeah, I am an independent. Look at the look oh, at the well. violence and the discord that has been sown. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, in episode seven, they meet the heretic and the wanderer, um, it, who are in the middle of the crystal, uh, the crystal desert. Uh, the heretic is a Skeksis. And the Wanderer is a mystic, and they live together at the top of the Circle of Suns. It is absolutely far and away my favorite episode. 
It oh, is. Oh shit. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Um, they built lore 379 trying ago uh, to deliver their message for them. And, and it's my favorite scene from the whole thing. There's such great personalities uh, and they prepare a surprise and the heretic is batshit crazy. And I can't do the voice perfectly, but I can think I can give you the tone of it. Mm. Oh, you're here. You're not supposed to be here yet. Oh my gosh. We've got a surprise. And then, you know, he introduces like the mystic and the mystic is, I, you are, go on, go on. I am. Yes, you are. Say the word. Go ahead and say the word. Come on. Say it. Say it. The one. Oh my God. You know, and (laughs) oh my God, it's fun. It is so fun. (laughs) And the heretic has a nail through the top of his head. Just like, what the fuck? It's so, and he's dressed in like, almost like, like imagine a muumuu that divine would have worn in hairspray it's like that like it's it's like red and white and it just oh it's so fun it's just the antithesis of all things skexis um, which is why he's the heretic yeah boy howdy or rather uh, him being the heretic is why yeah the muumuu is the wrong colors yeah you know if you're going to go all in <laughs> go all in you know <laughs> And then we cut back to the this scene between the general and the emperor, and they are talking to each other in the bowels of the castle, the place where Gelfling weren't allowed. And they're creating an alliance with the Arathim, who do the the whole helping hands face thing that we saw in Labyrinth. Um, mm-hmm. They do it with their Arathim bodies, and they are called the Ascendancy. And they they agree to fight on behalf of the Gelfling or the the Skeksis against the Gelfling in exchange for their ancestral homeland back, which is the Groton Caves. Now, there's a bit of a plot going on here because the emperor knows that the darkness is coming and it's coming up from the center of the earth upward, which means the Groton Caves will be covered in the darkness, whatever the mm. fuck that is, and that kills things. So the Arathim are going to die down in the Groton Caves. So he promises them a poisoned homeland without them realizing. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the first time I've seen this, because this is, I think, the third time I've watched it through. First time I watched it, I just loved it. Second time, I really enjoyed it. And third time, I was like, okay, I have to do research now. Um, so <laughs> a labor of love for certain. It certainly yeah. helped cleanse the palate of V. Uh, so we go back to the Wanderers and the Heretics place, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember the first time saying, wow, imagine if their surprise is a puppet show. Like, <laughs> it would just be like, mm-hmm. you know. So the heretic, who, like I said, has an actual nail in his head that he hits to make it, you know, ding, and it causes all the crystals to vibrate in the desert, and the crystals all sing. Uh, which, in some levels, he's sending his brain waves out to crystals. Um, That's trippy. Yeah. And then, like, they, yeah. I can't help but wonder if there's, like, intentional symbolism there. Oh, it very well could be. Okay. Or, like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So then they introduced a puppet show. Bullshit. No, dead serious. It's a puppet show being put on by puppets for puppets to tell about the history of those same puppets. Wow, the meta. Oh, it's so good. Damn. All right. Um and and they talk about it and they they narrate it. And I I <laughs> It's I forget who says what, but I, I did write down this quote. 
we too were not always the crude flesh you see before you. We were perfect unity. We called ourselves Urskeks. And there's a story about how 18 of them came to Thra 2,000 trying ago, and they gave Agra the ability to see the stars and explore in exchange for the Crystal of Truth. And they ran experiments on it until they got split in two because of the crystal. And they broke a shard off of the crystal in the process, which brought about the darkening. And all the heretic and the wanderer want is to get back to their true form. The Skeksis took over the castle. They banished and turned on anyone who preached unity, hence the heretic. Uh, the mystics sought out solitude to await their destiny. They tell the Gelfling the rest of their history, but this ties back to the movie and that whole misunderstanding of Israel and Palestine quite nicely. Anyway, the puppet show ends up catching fire and also the Gelfling need to retrieve the dual glaive from the most reclusive of mystic, uh, the reclusive mystic there is who lives in the Groton Caves. Meanwhile, Madra Farah is plotting a rebellion, especially after hearing that the Skeksis killed all the castle guard and Agra comes to convince them to stop. And she tells the Gelfling, you plot strife when you should plot survival. So she knows it's a doomed fight. Agra is all about the longer game, which is cold comfort when you're like, no, we need to fucking rescue our people. And she says that the Skeksis will not meet their fate in the Stonewood hands. Okay. Which, I mean, I also kind of think I would tell, I would do what Mother Madra Farah does and rebuff her. And Agra walks away in disdain. And she even says something to the effect of, can't say I didn't try. Um, the hunter shows back up uh, in Stonewood uh, to try to kill Rian as he's saying goodbye. To, oh, no, he shows up. Uh, I'm sorry, not in Stonewood, in the uh, the Circle of Suns. So they they finish it, and there's a tender moment that Rian and uh, Deet, I think, are sharing, or Bria. Um, and the hunter shows up just as Rian is saying goodbye to the heretic, and uh, he throws a knife through the hand of the heretic, and that causes the wanderer to start bleeding. Nice callback to the movie, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. The archer then shows up to frustrate the hunter's uh, efforts. And the hunter grabs Bria and runs off. And, and she drops her journal. And Rian picks it up. And then you go back to the Stonewood clan. And they are getting ready to fight. And the Skeksis arrive at night with a spotlight, which is kind of cool. But the general has found a way. Uh, so he stands there in front of it. And the spotlight, it, I mean, it's a spotlight. So it grabs all the attention. And while it does, the Arathim have sent uh, these little tiny versions of themselves um, to go to possess Gelflings. And mm. they just, they crawl under the light and nobody notices until it crawls up on them and then just like hooks into their brain. Um, and and Bria's uh, other sister, not Celadon, but uh, Tavra, Mm -hmm. Um, she shows up and she speaks for the Arathim through her voice because she's been possessed. She, it's a locutus of Borg kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're little insects called threaders that go up there. And and pretty soon the entire ascendancy possesses all of the Stonewood Gelfling and they're taken down without even a battle. And then they all line up single file and go back to the castle as food for the Skeksis. Oh, yeah. Now, at this point, I could say that this is high fantasy meets dystopian fascist nightmares. Um, yeah, it's getting further and further from reality from here on out, to be honest. But there's a few threads here and there. So 
Celadon, uh, Celadon, who's fully bought into the Skeksis, uh, the foreign masters who've taken over. She yeah. very much feels like the people who've accepted normalcy on the second and third year of Trump's presidency. Uh, do you remember yeah. the thing called Trump derangement syndrome? Yeah. Yeah. So she tries like held a strong arm uh, uh, Agra, which obviously doesn't work. She calls her crone at one point uh, and tells her to move or she'll move her. And Agra is just like, whatever the fuck. Um, and then she says that she and only she alone can negotiate a peace with the Skeksis um, with a, a, a certain amount of I must be in power that takes over reason and morality. Uh, only it, it, I can save you. Right. But also, like, I don't know that she actually cares about negotiating. I think she uses that as more justification for why she should be in power. Um, and it's quite illustrative. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, well, you know, we can't quit the administration no matter what, because, you know, then who would be there to, to help things run? It's like, mm. Imagine seeing the worst mm. thing possible and then seeing people double and triple down on it after seeing the cruelty. Imagine being a Gelfling who saw this happen and hear that Gelfling say, oh, well, we can have peace. Yeah. Yeah. Augurus tells Celadon that they aren't interested in peace and that she needs to stop. And uh, Celadon says the Almadra is not yours to command, which... To which Agra says, you trifle with powers you cannot understand. Uh, and then Agra uh, appeals to Celadon to ask her to trust Agra, which then mm -hmm. elicits a move, crone. Don't worry, Mother Agra. I will convince the Skeksis to show mercy to you and your treasonous pets. So. Okay. Yeah, she's all in, right? Yeah. And this is where we see Agra remove her eye and use it to spy on her. She just uh. puts it in her pocket. And the plot moves along and Rian and the heroes depart from the heretic and the wanderer who says that he carries with him the hopes of their reunification. Uh, and back at the castle, the scientist is draining Gelflings who include the informant who shouts, but I was loyal. And that doesn't buy him more life from the ones that he was loyal to because their stated purpose was his consumption. Yeah. So. But, but the leopards weren't going to eat my face. Right. <laughs> You you voted for the leopards eating faces party. They but, they specifically said they were going to have leopards eat people's faces. But they were just talking metaphorically. I mean, they were only going to do that to the to the right people, not no, to the, me. Okay, so you're making multiple points there. Yep. So so did you believe it or did you not believe it? If you didn't believe it, then you're kind of an idiot because they said everything they said with leopards next to them right. while they were speaking flossing. number one yeah <laughs> flossing yes <laughs> and and if you did believe them mm -hmm. and you and you thought well you know it was going to be the right people that they were going to have eat well then you're just fucking evil and you just and you even more deserve what you got like right. you know um yeah. well so oh. you remember what orwell said though the ability to hold two conflicting ideas in your head and have them both be true. Yeah. That's an undersung quote of his. That's an yes, undersung concept that he covered because all the other ones are real easy to loop onto. But that one, 
I think is honestly one of the more salient ones that that certainly that we see here, yeah. but also that we've seen in the last six, eight years. Yeah, that's true. So, so the Skeksis are all happily drinking essence and they're celebrating their destruction of more Gelfling when Celadon, the Almadra, the self-appointed Almadra, uh, shows up to beg for mercy. And she does so by literally throwing all the Gelfling under the bus. Um, so she's like, you know, I'm so sorry for what we've done. Can we please have mercy? The emperor, uh, no. And all the Skeksis laugh. And then she pivots and she says, okay, just kill the Stonewood clan, but spare the rest. No. And he keeps saying no in that slightly comical way. Uh, no. No. Like that. And yeah. then there's more laughter. And then she says, quote, you are as wise as you are fair. And then she pivots again, saying that some Gelflings are spreading this filthy lie that Skeksis are draining Gelflings. And the Emperor confirms it. And now she's stuck in the middle of a whole bunch of Gel uh, Skeksis who are laughing at her and surrounding her. She even offers, she says, okay, let's go back to our original terms. Seven, seven per clan per trine. Uh, no. And then she says, okay, if you won't spare anyone else, can you spare my sisters? They refuse again, and then they grab her crown and start stripping her down. Um, and they start mocking her grief. And like the 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 one, the collector, she puts it on and look how pretty I am and all this. The emperor shatters her crown as she continues to plead for mercy. They tear off her clothes, and then they take her off to be drained. Now, through all of this, what had happened was a threader tried to uh, possess Agra. And she's mm -hmm. like, are you are you kidding me? You try to control Agra? Agra can't control Agra. Um, <laughs> That's a great quote. Oh, it's so That's... good. Uh, and so she converted it to her side. Um, and so uh, she she sent that with her eye to sell on Celadon. So uh, the threader carries away her eye um, to, to now that she's been stripped down. Right. So the mm -hmm. eye goes flying off. Um, and so uh, the threader uh, and her eye go off uh, from this scene and Agra has seen it all. Um, Rion and Deet make their way to the Groton Tunnels and they find that the threaders have taken over all of the Gelfling who have not been destroyed by the Ascendancy. Um, and that includes Deet's uh, little brother um, and her family. And it's really fucking tragic. There's a whole subplot about the archer and the hunter as well, um, because, you know, again, each each one has a pair. Yeah. Um, and the amount of damage that the archer did to the hunter uh, hurts him as well. And he's uh, the hunter's still driven by his need to hunt and kill and capture and whatnot. Um, but he's also in death's door. Uh, and Chamberlain finds him just as he's about to die. And the emperor is obsessed with making sure that the hunter doesn't die. Um, and Chamberlain has also delivered Bria, you know, because the hunter was with her. Mm hmm. Which means that Tavra, Celadon, and Bria are all in the same spot now, having been captured by the Skeksis. So the Emperor, because remember, uh, Tavra was the one that was Locutus of Borg. Right, um, right, right. Celadon just got carted off after begging, and yeah. Bria has been kidnapped and brought brought back. So amidst Skeksis' arguments, uh, the Emperor insists that they give the Hunter all the remaining essence that they have um, as the scientist is doing triage on him. 
this is in full view of the Gelfling who are being kept in cages in the scientist's lair. Uh, and Bria yells at them that they're all monsters. Uh, to which I believe it's the scientist, and he says, and you're just now figuring that out? Oh, um, wow. So Celadon shouts across the prison to her sister, still lamenting the loss of the old order under the Skeksis, and basically uses her voice to yell and blame Bria for what the Skeksis are doing now. Wow. Yeah. And then sympathetic characters for 500, Alex. Right. And just like can't let go. Um, and she says, quote, mother should have made a deal with the Skeksis, compromised, save the lives of many by sacrificing the few. And Bria asks Celadon if she'd make these choices. And she says, yes, I'm the only one capable of making hard choices. Yeah. And then she goes back to blaming Bria. And they both see that Tavra has been taken over by the Ascendancy. So it's fucking awful. Uh, and then you go back to the Groton Caves and the Ascendancy see that Deet actually saved and helped some of the Arathim by rescuing them from the Nurlocks who'd gone crazy with the Darkening. Um, and the Ascendancy like, is like, why are you helping us? And remember, it's all one hive mind, right? Yeah, it's yeah. The, we're the helping hands. And they tell her and Rion the deal that the Skeksis made with them. Said, if you defeat the Groton and drive them out, you can have the caves again. And Rian puts it together and notes that the Skeksis knew... And that this was their plan for exterminating the Arathim. Send them to the caves that the Darkening was taking over. So Deet says, look, this is what happened. And what if we save you? And the Arathim are like, why would you do that? She says, if this was your home first, you still deserve to be here. And so she makes a new deal. She says, we'll move on. We'll leave. Let me help save you. And then you fight with us. And this, this absolutely can be your home. And we'll get rid of the Darkening. Um, and there's a new deal that's made with the Arathim and the Gelfling. And Rian asked them to release all the Gelflings and join them uh, to defeat the Skeksis. And the Ascendancy agree. And so they release their hold on all the Gelflings. And since it's a hive intelligence, you would expect this to spread fast, but it doesn't seem to. And so maybe it's localized hives. So Rian still has to find the dual glaive, which it turns out is Deet's grandmother. Uh, she, she's been holding it as a walking stick and then she like smacks it and, and turns out as a blade, uh, okay. just as Deet is talking with the sanctuary tree, the darkened Nurlocks attack it and kill it. Um, but right before it dies, it transfers all its powers to Deet, who is really fucked up from it. Like she, it's clearly too much power. It's burning her out. Um, but she's able to hold on to it for now. Now, because Agra is Agra, she Matt, she has respect for the hunter. Like she does. Okay. And she's come by the castle to pay her respects to him, also to pick up her eye. Um, but she doesn't tell him <laughs> that. Yeah. And she tells the Skeksis that the hunter's not actually dead yet, but also that Gelfling Essence would not be enough to save the hunter. And then she says that hers would be. And she offers it in trade for the Gelflings that they've imprisoned. Yeah. And the emperor asks her, quote, you would give up your own life for a few of these worthless Gelfling. And she explains to the Skeksis that they aren't of Thra, but that everyone else is so that they won't really understand. Now, I've told you before that uh, Agra is the avatar of democracy with a capital D. Yeah. She's telling the ruling elite that they're not it, but that everyone else is. It's kind of fun to point out. All right. 
Anyway, they all agree, and this releases Bria and Celadon and the others, and of course the Emperor whispers to the General to kill them before they all leave the castle. And at that moment, uh, the Threaders all let go of the Shroud and all the Gelfling flee via the Catacombs. Nice. It was planet-wide. Although Tavra and her Threader are permanently bonded, she's actually still able to assert her personality. Now they're, you know, they're they're Tuvix from Voyager. Okay. Um, right. and she's ready to whoop some ass. And uh the general <laughs> the general goes to the collector, he's like, grab your sword, we gotta we gotta beat their ass. And uh they so they they surround um the the Gelfling who are trying to flee, and Tavra fights really hard. She ends up stabbing the general while the Arathim attack the collector. The general sees that he's bleeding and weak, and there's this whole subplot about Chamberlain and he's and and him maneuvering each other. Um, and Chamberlain gives him fake essence to heal him. Um, and then Chamberlain or uh, no, he Chamberlain tricked him into getting fake essence. And and then Chamberlain shows up now and stabs Tavra to death just as she's about to deliver the killing blow to the general uh, and saves him and offers him uh, real essence, which is the one that Chamberlain had stolen. Remember, Chamberlain was born oh, from yeah. drinking essence. Yeah. The wound knits and the general thinks Chamberlain is his friend. Uh, and Bria and Celadon double back to find Tavra and carry her out. Meanwhile, you go to to Agra, and she's being drained to feed the hunter his essence or her essence for him. And she and the scientist reminisce just a little bit because the scientist and she have you know quite a bond, considering she knows she has a lot of knowledge, and the scientist seeks a lot of knowledge. Mm. Um, the crystal gets turned on her to drain her, but there's no essence coming out of it, and she tells the emperor that they are doomed. Then they crank it up to 11, uh, and Agra actually bursts from the draining. Um, this doesn't heal the hunter. They they uh, they pour it all into him. So all the essence that they get from her, they pour into him, and he's still not healed from it. And the Skeksis scientist declares the hunter dead, and the emperor goes in a rage and says that the Skeksis cannot be allowed to die. Um, be, and he says, we cannot die. And then he says, I cannot die. Mm-hmm. Now, Majafara is leading the escape from the castle, and they run into Kylan, who admits that he's been he's had trouble spreading the word because, quote, some love the Skeksis almost as much as they love themselves. Uh, okay. Yeah. Celadon finally comes to her senses just in time to apologize for everything right before Tavra dies, uh, which, you know, okay. Uh, the emperor insists that they need a ceremony to attend the hunter's corpse, uh, and that uh, that that ends up being they they hang him up marionette style in the throne room, which is apparently that he's a decoration to be revered, which I guess that's their way to do it. So his corpse is just hanging there, um, so that he can always be with them. That's also meta as fuck, seeing as he's a puppet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know whether the writers mm-hmm. were oh, they like did all that. philosophy majors. Oh, that I don't know. Yeah. Or or if they were just doing really, really good drugs. Because yeah. holy shit. Oh, yeah. I, I think there must okay. have been a post-it on the table saying, remember, they're always puppets. Oh, yeah. Like, how do you play with that from time to time? You know, I mean, you have them being controlled by the threaders, threads. 
yeah. threads are used to control uh, puppets. Okay. You know? Um, yeah. I also think That's it's interesting point. that they've they essentially they have somebody who's no longer used to use useful to them, and yet they use his hollowed out husk of a corpse to decorate them. Like Yeah. That's and they've been Sick. consuming the little guy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the general and the collector report that the Arathim's betrayal has occurred. Uh, they report it to the emperor, but Chamberlain actually has a plan. And he says that there can be no peace while Gelfling live and that there must be a war. And further, the Arathim have betrayed the Skeksis because they've been too kind. And Chamberlain's plan is to engineer more loyal soldiers. Uh, the emperor. Oh. Yeah. The Gertham. Yes. All the right. emperor promises resources to this end, and he gives Chamberlain his old place as his advisor again. So Chamberlain has ascended to power again. Okay. Now, eventually, Rian finds the dual glaive, uh, and and um, there's a second blade that he finds in a in a forge. Okay, he combines the two, and it results in the fires nearby, like the one from the forge, as well as any home fires. Uh, they turn into blue flame waypoints. And Rian speaks into the fire, which also shows in the crystal, uh, which the Skeksis also see. So it's like this worldwide radio where he's talking to, um, you know, it's like a free Gelfling radio. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's talking to all the Gelfling, but also the Skeksis can hear it too. And he says, quote, the Skeksis deceived us, turned clan against clan, murdered our all Madra, drained our loved ones, unleashed the darkening upon the world. And now everyone and everything is at risk. What was once unthinkable has become inevitable. Rebellion. This weapon, the dual glaive, he holds it up, has been foretold to end the Skeksis' power. It is now in Gelfling hands. The Skeksis have sown distrust amongst us for a thousand trine. Why? Because they feared what would happen if we united. They were right to be afraid. Join me at Stone in the Wood. Here we will make our stand. Not as many, but as one. And then the emperor uses the power of the darkening to break into the call, basically. And he says, silence, your pathetic rebellion can only end in ruin. Then why do you tremble? Disrespectful peon, your lives are but a speck waiting to be swept away. Be assured that any gelfling that stands with you in battle will join you in the grave. At which point, Rian takes his dual glaive and stabs it into the fire. Basically, you know, boring conversation. Luke, we're going to have company. Um, and that also shows the Skeksis that he has the dual glaive. And the Emperor bolsters uh, the Skeksis at this point and tells them that they will descend on this nascent rebellion at dawn um, since they're nearby in Stone in the Clan, or Stone in the Wood. And Rion wonders aloud if the Gelfling are going to come. So as the final episode draws up, we see the environmentalist-turned-incorporation uh, of the Heart of Thra, Deet, making grenades. So she's she's uh, making actual grenades. Um, now, half of this has the vibe of an election week winding down. Deet shows hope that the others are going to show. Uh, Rian speaks of the future and wants to see the Caves of Grot with her afterwards, which, uh, what was the name of the mines uh, that Legolas and Gimli talked about? What was the, uh, Ed, I think you're muted and we're still recording this. 
Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. What was um, the name of the mines? Didn't they yeah, have to talk about the like... glittering caves of? It wasn't Moria, was it? No, it was not Moria. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm looking it up. Frank team, anyway. So yeah. Okay, but it's that same kind of vibe. Except yeah, yeah, that yeah. There's yeah, also yeah. there's there's a bit of romance to this. Yeah, yeah. Um. There's been a hint of affection this whole time, and she doesn't see a way forward that'll be the same. But she says it'll be better, and I think really she recognizes that she's going to die, that she's burning out from the power of the truth. Mm, mm-hmm. By the way, it's Aglarond. Aglarond. Okay. Okay. So really, you have the militant who's hoping for a cataclysmic ending, an actual showdown with the powers that be, one that'll somehow settle everything and cause them to stop being awful, and he's telling his fantasies to the environmentalist who sees how far past the point of no return we've gone on abusing this planet. Okay. Yeah. Also, Deet has the darkening in her hands and veins, which is a downside to absorbing everything from the Sanctuary Tree is that you also downloaded everything that was troubling it, too. Ooh. And speaking of the darkening, That's the Emperor... Grim. Yeah, it really is. Um, You know that she's not long for this world, you know? Um, now, the Emperor is looking over the darkness in his castle deep below again, and he and the General have a bit of an Ahab moment where he asks the General if he dreams and if he remembers the time before the Sundering, which is where they split into Skeksis and Mystics. And the Emperor only has nightmares, and uh, and he sees the negative emotions. He sees suffering and guilt and sorrow as a torment which he seeks to escape. And he truly fears his own mortality as it's the one thing he cannot control. And the Emperor says that Skeksis must, quote, hold on to life with all claws, no matter the cost, no matter the cost. Wow. Yeah. The quiet part out loud. Yes. You can do that with puppets. Remember this Uber is Roy? true. This, Remember well, Uber Roy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget Uber yeah. Roy like ever again in right. my life? Yeah. Both times Damien has talked about puppets, it's been about Trump. Yeah. Um, well, mm, huh. Yeah. Now, but yeah. What 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 I find interesting is we're still we're still coming around even though this isn't Lucas, mm-hmm. we're still coming around to the force and Buddhism. And at the same yeah. time, we're coming around to Tolkien's view of evil, like this, this, this underlying kind of probe mm-hmm. of the utter emptiness of, of all of that selfishness at the root of all of that mm-hmm. is this terrible gnawing fear that 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 cannot create anything can only can only corrupt and yes you know and and steal from yes you know and yeah it's just it's it's interesting that you know tolkien was coming from an intensely catholic worldview mm-hmm. and here we see this very much being in a Taoist. I mean, kind of, kind of. There's, 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 there's a Buddhist, Taoist, you know, uh, uh, Eastern religion kind of, kind of outlook on it. But mm-hmm. it still indicates that no, no. When we're dealing with darkness and negativity, there is still this. It is, it is rooted in emptiness, and mm-hmm. it is rooted in a a gnawing, 
it gnawing fear. Yeah. Does does the general give a response or is it just kind of a kind of a soliloquy from the from well, the emperor? Remember that the, it's mostly a soliloquy, but remember also the general is always subsequent to the emperor. Okay, not mulingly so, but you know clearly yeah. the number two. Also, the general has just been stabbed and healed, so he's well aware of his own mortality. mortality. Okay, um, and yeah, he he talks about uh, he doesn't dream. Um, you know, at all. And so he's just kind of listening. It's kind of, you know, I'm a soldier. I don't, I don't have time for these. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand for politics. Now the late anthropologist and philosopher, Ernest Becker wrote a book, a book called the denial of death. And in it, he says that the fear of death contributes to a literal and figurative quest for immortality via religion, via being a parent and via making legacies or lasting works. Okay. Well, the the last part was, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I find it interesting that religion is number one and legacies mm-hmm. and lasting works are number two. And when we look at ancient Greek and oh, Roman no, that, ideas, that was number three. Oh, sorry, number three. Number two. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, I meant number three. Yeah. When yeah. we look at number three and we look at number one, they were combined by the Romans mm-hmm. <laughs> into a civic duty. Yeah. Which also, combi- I mean, the, you couldn't separate any of those three for the Romans. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's a good point. So, so far, no shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also, this does go a long way, way toward crystallizing uh, yeah. the, the need for present celebrity and adulation by a certain tangerine man, baby demon who used to be our president. Okay. That fear, as natural as it is can absolutely cause folks to become more severe in their ethical and political choices, create a greater sense of tribalism and the urgency for it, and bring about people who also thirst for such people to be their leaders. You get this weird feedback loop of everyone Mm. who's afraid, who needs someone to validate them, both the leaders and the followers. Okay, yeah. You'll know that... I'm still kind of on a, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. No, it's... Having it elucidated like that is is yeah. powerful. Yeah. Well, and here's here's more evidence. Uh, after the San Bernardino shootings in December of 2015, yeah, Trump got an uptick in popularity during his campaign. The same the same thing happened in November of 2015 with the Paris attacks. And in <laughs> each of these, someone brown attacked a community that was seen as largely white. Someone Muslim uh, attacked a community that was seen as largely Christian and Trump rose in popularity and he seized on it, too. This was when he promised a ban on Muslims from entering the country as a part of his when I am president. It brought in the us versus them, and it's largely tied to his revulsion to death. Do you remember? And I, I truly think this is one of the, the, the most interesting flaws about this man. And it's a damn shame that he never got any therapy. Um, this and his daddy issues. Well, yeah. um, you remember in France in 2018 where he refused to visit the American cemetery, saying that the hundreds of Marines who died in Bella Woods were suckers for getting killed? Quote, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. Yeah, I, I do remember that. It wasn't just his hair, which everybody seized on, and rightly so. It wasn't just his hair, though. We had a sitting president who was so afraid of death that on the 100th anniversary of World War I, he wouldn't go out to be a part of the ceremony. 
When he was on Howard Stern's show in 2004, he said that he had seen an 80-year-old fall and crack his head. And he said, quote, I thought he died. And you know what I did? I said, oh, my God, that's disgusting. And I turned away. That's the other thing is he always tells I, you who he is. Yeah, I, I do remember hearing hearing that snippet of that interview. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his his reaction was intensely narcissistic but scared to death oh yeah well yeah i mean it was it was all rooted in his own fear of mortality and his own right his own squeamishness um at at the sight of a threat to life at a reminder of his mortality yeah yeah like and and everything about his his full-throated denial of the reality of covid I, that's the very next paragraph is you know, I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's so obvious. Right. Um, yeah. It hit us hard because we had a feckless, incoherent, leaderless response. Yeah. And his approach was essentially eugenics. Oh, well, yeah. You know, and it wasn't, oh, finally, I get to do eugenics. It was eugenics because he was afraid, Um, which is the thing every time he is a scared, scared man. Um, and like you said, like that, that basically, you know, that's the last person you want to have in charge during a pandemic. Um, that's the last person you want to have in charge, period. But well, especially true. during a pandemic. Yes. yes. It's especially highlighted at that yeah. <laughs> when he was interviewed on nine 11 about what had happened. Well, it wasn't oh, really, I don't even want to. Oh my God. He, he wasn't interviewed. That's the best part. He called into a news station and said, Hey, I'm Donald Trump. I want to go on the air and tell you what I think about it. And he immediately made it about himself. Quote, 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And it was actually before the World Trade Center, the tallest. And when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest. And now it's the tallest. Disgusting. Yeah. Just fucking gross. And also wrong. Factually wrong. Demonstrably wrong. It wasn't the second tallest. There's several that are taller than it and were taller back then, too. And when political opponents died, he was thirsty as fuck to mock their deaths. Normally, you could chalk that up to a character flaw on his part, right? But it's really more than just being petty. It's pathological. He mocks death itself and distances himself from it as much as he can because that's the one thing he can't control. He cannot buy his way out of it. He avoided military service, like many rich kids did, by getting multiple deferments. And in 1999, he admitted that he made up a fake injury to avoid military service because, quote, you think I'm stupid? I wasn't going to Vietnam. Other quotes on the issue have actually been proven to be false, but Mm. that one was verified. Anyway, hold on to life with all claws, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And there's also a subplot within Chamberlain's climb to power, a subplot where he he gifted the scientists with Gruniacs, which is a larger version of Podling's who were renowned for their technical expertise and their prodigious strength. And at this point, they'd been nearly wiped out. And so this was a rarity and their slaves whose mouths were sewn shut that Chamberlain gave to the scientist. And and anyway, he got them to switch out the general's essence with a fake uh, potion that looked like essence. That's that whole thing. And he pocketed mm-hmm. the real one and he promised them freedom uh, if they did this and they did it. And then he's like, Oh, when, when the time is right. Um, Anyway, the emperor had insisted that the scientists stay behind and build the army that Chamberlain has suggested instead of going off to to fight the fight. 
mm-hmm. and the scientist 100% feels slighted by this uh, uh, because he wanted to go and prove himself. And there's even lines that he speaks about how can I prove myself if they won't let me go out. And the general calls him like a weakling for not getting mm-hmm. to go. And it's like, bro, you were standing right next to the emperor who denied him. Um, yeah. But uh, he he definitely is is slighted, but he's also alone in the castle and he's working on dissecting a dead Arathim and he's trying to turn it into something else using the crystal. And he insists that the Gruniacs clean up after him after he goes off to microdose on some essence because it turns out he loves microdosing essence. <laughs> um, so you get ready for the battle. Both sides are hyping themselves up. And again, it feels like election day. And while the scientist is pretending to be emperor and he literally sits on the throne, he demands that the podlings play music for him and serve him food. And then he abuses them until they start to stand up to him. And then the hunter moves a little bit and it causes the podlings to flee the room. And then the hunter begins snoring and wheezing and then awakens in front of the scientist in the empty throne room. And he snaps himself free of the marionette mounting and he demands Rian. That's the first thing he says. And the scientist tells him where to find Rian. And then the hunter runs off in search of Rian while spurning the scientist for being a coward. So he just... He can't win. He cannot. Cannot win. Now, as you know, the hunter and the archer are tied together, right? And the archer has been convalescing with the uh, heretic and the wanderer the whole time. And when the, the hunter awakens, it actually takes its toll on the archer. And even with all the essence and the Frankensteining that the scientists have done to the hunter, um... It has it has not done anything to help the archer feel better. Um, and as the Gelflings are preparing for the battle, a, a fizzgig tumbles through, literally like a tumbleweed. Um, which again, these little details just delight me. You know, they're getting the village mm-hmm. ready for the the marauders. Anyway, the Skeksis show up and they mock the assembled Gelfling because look how little they are. And Rian challenges the Emperor to one on one combat. And at this point, Chamberlain let's lose his plan. He maneuvers the general into accepting the challenge and eventually Rian stabs the general through despite getting the shit kicked out of him the whole time. And the stab wound begins to drain the essence. Uh, I can't tell if it's essence or darkness, um, but the dual glaive starts draining it from him. And then Rian does what every good liberal, no matter how militant they appear, does. He refuses to actually follow through. He triumphantly shouts that he's not a killer and he steps back. Which would be great if you're not faced with a fuck ton of killers who literally have stated their mission's purpose is to consume you. Yeah, in, in the face of in the face of absolute stated genocide, that's not yeah. as much of a virtue as you think it is. Right. And of yeah. course, that allows the general to live and he kind of hobbles up to the emperor and the emperor just looks at him and says, what use are you to me now? And then tells him to fall back out of the battle, which is like, Damn. Ooh, shit. Now, does that sound familiar? Somebody is no longer useful to the emperor, so he just passes him away? Oh, anybody and everybody in the Trump administration. Yep. Like, repeatedly. How how many? Steve Bannon. Yeah. Yeah. How many many names do you need? Right. You know. So, anyway, the Skeksis get ready to attack, and their armor is actually pretty damn cool. It's like uh, they have, like, wings that don't have the flaps to them, so it's just the bones. And those okay. have been armored up and they've got like blades on them and shit. Um, and the Gelfling women fly through because remember, they can yeah. fly with bombs and grenades. And they just start dropping. Nice. Yeah. Nice. 
and there's some tender moments in the battle. There's some chaos in the battle. And the guilt, the, the, what shows up is that the Skeksis are really fucking powerful, actually. And Rihanna is being super heroic despite their endurance. Um, and they have a lot of, like, things are blowing them up. They get knocked over and they get back up every damn time. The Skeksis mm. do. Chamberlain actually finds the general in the middle of the battle behind the behind the lines. And he's wounded. And the general speaks to him as a friend and he asks for his help. And Chamberlain comes up to him. And then stabs him and kills him. He leaves the sword in the general and says, you took my seat. And the general crumbles. Wow. Yeah. And right when that happens, the hunter comes running into the battle. He grabs Rian and holds him up because he's so single-minded, right? He takes Rian's dual glaive and he appears ready to kill him. But then he starts to soliloquize because he himself has conquered death and he's more powerful than death itself. So we need hubris. Right, right. And at this very moment, the archer wakes up and he says that he's had a dream and that this hunt must end. Cause again, he's the other half, right? He goes to the edge of the circle of the suns and throws himself off. And just as the hunter is punching the shit out of Rian, um, claiming his victory over death, that's when that happens. The archer turns all sparkly when he dies. And then the hunter turns into purple dust and explodes. And out of the explosion comes Agra. Remember, the it was fuck? her essence. It yeah, was her essence that was uh, in there, right? All right. Okay. And she confronts the emperor. And, and honestly, this feels like wish fulfillment, right? We all voted and our democracy stared down the fascists trying to bully us into accepting their rule. Yeah. And the specter of Lady Liberty or Lady Democracy herself has come to confront the one in charge and who fears death the most. Um, the emperor I'm about to weep. Yeah. Like, God. it's beautiful. It's wish fulfillment, though. Oh, my though. God. Like, yeah. I, well, I know. Yeah. You know. So... <laughs> The emperor insists that there's still no match for the Skeksis, and he shouts to the rest to finish them all, all off. Uh, and then the Sofa, the Drenchen, the Spriten, the Groton, the Dusen, and the Vapor clans all show up, having their moment. You know, and it's you know, nice. Yeah, it's it's the it's you know it's the same thing that we saw in um, Endgame, right? Yeah, Avengers uh, Assemble. Yeah. yeah, and then the Arathim show up and they pick a side. And at this point, Chamberlain turns to the emperor and he's like. Retreat's an option. It really is. Um, to which the emperor says, I cannot lose no matter the cost. Behold the power of the darkening. And he holds up the darkening. And his scepter glows. And he sends purple lightning into the ground, which explodes several Gelfling, which fucking oh, sucks. And shit. Deet's fingers start to glow. And so she starts to absorb it all. And it's clearly wasting her away, but she's absorbing it all. The environmentalist is being destroyed by this fight. Oh, fuck, man. The Emperor's incredulous. Deet's eyes are purple, and she sends the lightning right back at them, and it kills the Collector, because we never see her in the fucking movie, and I love how they got rid of characters that we never saw. Nice, okay, yeah. The Skeksis retreat. So now the Collector and the General are dead, and they're the two most militant of the Skeksis. Um, you know, some people do go to jail. Mm. The Gelfling let them leave. Because now Deet is still purpling up and she goes away as everyone celebrates. And Rian notices this and he goes looking for her as everyone else, including the Arathim, are getting all huggy. So it's the end of episode six. Mm -hmm. 
Deke continues walking away as everything around her is purpling up. She appears to kind of be leaking the darkness. Bria picks up the dual glaive and she finds that the pommel shatters and in it is the dark crystal. Ooh. Meanwhile, Agra is talking about what will come and the fragility of hope. And she's talking and it's kind of montaging. And she says, this day does not belong to a single clan or Gelfling. This day, the many become one. And meanwhile, because evil doesn't fucking rest, the scientist is zapping and shocking the Arotham corpse the whole time. And he actually combines it with the body of a Gruniak that he killed um, because the Gruniak fight him and he throws one out and uh, then he, he kills okay. the other. And he calls the combination, a combination of the Gruniak and the Arathim. Garthim. Yes. And that is the end of season one. And then Netflix canceled any future work. Motherfucker. Now, part of this, according to Lisa Henson herself, is due to COVID. She said, the COVID concerns are perhaps even multiplied because we have such large crews. It's interesting because we like to say that the show was the biggest puppet production in history. It looks delicate. It looks beautiful. But it's an incredibly large endeavor. You have no idea watching the finished show just how big it was. And to just put that on, uh, put that top again would be a huge thing. Uh, just to put that up again would be a huge thing. I mean, for a puppet to jump from the carriage to the to the wheel of a carriage, which is sort of a typical stunt in the human world, that sequence is just amazing. And I so I looked, I was like, how many people were on this this set, right? Because COVID is a big yeah. fucking deal, right? They canceled yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. You know, there were 170 different puppets, 70 different species, 83 puppeteers, and 59 voice artists. And then there's the crew to support that all. That's over 2,500 people working on a show. And despite its award-winning presentation, it cost a lot of money to make, and it didn't bring the viewers that Netflix had hoped, which is a direct parallel to the first movie as well, because it's one of those movies that doesn't make much, but everyone loves. Mm. It's like the opposite of Avatar. Yeah. And what's yeah. wild is that we already know the ending, right? We know that the Skeksis are going to win, and that a few yeah. of them will die, and that Augur will isolate herself while it all happens and give up, and that the world of Thra will be plunged into a depressing and unending bleakness uh, where the Skeksis continue to destroy the planet and devour its inhabitants and, and still wither the hell away. Yeah. Which, I mean, unfortunately, I just said the parallel out loud to what we think is probably going to happen to us. Yeah, well... Yeah, odds being what they are. Democracy will just kind of fade away and, yeah. and on and on and on. And yet there's so much written about season two that they already did. I mean, they waited 37 years with this story, right? And they continue to carve out these bubbles of hope in such a bleak story, which, and it's a defiant hope. And it's the kind of hope that we can call hope punk. Yeah, Despite much. Henson's total lack of understanding of what the problem in Israel and Palestine were, he still created a world in which hope should not exist, and yet it does. As I'd said in previous episodes, quoting Alexander Rowland, quote, hope punk is an ideological stance and a, and a big mood that means kindness and softness doesn't equal weakness. And Rowland believes that, quote, in this world of brutal cynicism and nihilism, being kind is a political act, an act of rebellion. 
And Henson Studios seems to have kept this flame burning so that, as Roland said, quote, any silliness was always tempered with an overarching notes of respect and empathy. In this way, Henson was subversively earnest and earnestly subversive. There's so much silly in the Age of Resistance, but there's also this fierce empathy that occurs the entire time. There's a refusal to be ground down by the act of resisting, and there's a softness of song that is so resilient that no matter the darkness that gnaws away at the heroes, it's there. And there's a puppet show on top of a sacred site. I mean, how much more hope punk can you be during a resistance than to put on a puppet show? Man, I'm getting I'm gonna get emotional. I haven't even seen the show. <laughs> I needed to clean my pa- cleanse my palate after V. Like I it really will, yeah. I mean, this is this is this is the equivalent to the Eagles writing uh take it to the limit and then turning yeah. around and writing take it easy. Like Okay. I see that. <laughs> you know? I see that. Yeah. So I like that. What what have you gleaned? Oh fuck. Well, number one, <laughs> I've gleaned that I need to carve out the time to watch this um, because <laughs> I have a very strong suspicion. This is going to be one more on the list of shows I need to watch on my own. Um, Lee might get it. Lee might like it. I don't know. Yeah, she might. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I, the thing yeah, is, you won't get to watch it with your boy for another, yeah. For another few years. Yeah. Because um, I've I've seen pictures of the Arathim and yeah, that's not not that's, his thing. <laughs> that that will not fly with my right. son right now. Um, and and yeah, like I, I wanted to watch it at the time. I mm-hmm. am one of the legion of folks who was like, oh yeah, no, I really need to get around to watch it, and like completely. So it's your fault it. they canceled it. So it's my fault. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yes, I will take that <laughs> upon myself. I will I will take ownership of that. Um but the the fact that the Henson Studios writers were like, no man, anvils, we're gonna drop them. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna drop all of them. Yeah. Like, no, no, not just one. No, I'm sorry. One is not enough. <laughs> we're going to drop all of them. Look, if you drop like, this one, it'll get lonely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it needs friends, right? Um, you know, like like you know, somebody, some, one of them, the lead writer says we need to drop all the anvils. Like, what do you mean, all of them? I mean, all of them, yeah. like Gary Oldman in The Professional. Uh, oh, I was um, gonna say Gary Oldman in in Fifth Element. Drop well, one million. Yeah, we only need to drop five hundred thousand. Drop one million. Drop one million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting that those are both Gary Oldman quotes. Um yeah. <laughs> the man has a has a niche. Yeah. Um yeah, the the blatantness of the allegory mm-hmm. just keeps hitting me. Like, wow, you really you really fucking went there, didn't you? It's like when Andor came out. Like, I'm gonna date this show just a little bit. This is yeah. after Andor has come out. Yeah. Um, it was like, hey, have you ever seen Star Wars be a cab? You will now. <laughs> We're going there. We're going there. We're going to commit to it. And yeah. and yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I I I love the original film. Mm-hmm. 
I think on a subconscious level, there was a part of me that was like, I really don't want to emotionally invest in a bunch of elves that I know are going to fucking die. So that yeah. might have been part of the reason I didn't watch it originally. Totally fair. Totally um, fair. But, you know, now, now, even though it's been in some ways thoroughly spoiled. Yeah. I know. I know I that there's, that. I know that there's enough visual, mm-hmm. you know, uh, candy. There's enough eye candy involved. Yeah. And there's enough, um, th- there'll be enough little stuff. Mm-hmm. That that you've had to gloss over for the purposes of of this this you know exegesis. Oh yeah, that that there'll still be stuff that I'll notice and like okay yeah I know I know where the story's going to go but I want to watch it happen anyway. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't really mind spoilers if it's not uh, Star Wars. Yeah, and the the last thing that stands out to me is. The trying to figure out how to put how to put it into words, but the the power of writing a story like this that you know, yes, it's obvious, yes, it's on the nose, but it needs to happen. Like we we need to have we need to have these stories told. Somebody needs to do it. And if the silly studio that does all the puppet shit isn't the one to do it, who else will? Yeah, you can get away with you know? a lot when you do puppets. Well, yeah, and and um, it's like uh, Michael, uh, not Michael, uh, William Gibson mm-hmm. uh, wound up, uh, he wrote an essay about science fiction being the uh court gestures of literature oh yeah you've brought this up if you yeah I've, I've mentioned it before and mm-hmm. and i think this kind of highlights the fact that there are the court gestures and then there are gradations hmm. within the genre yeah. about you know who can get away with the most shit right and when you've been relegated to the oh well it's puppets so it's kids stuff ghetto on top of the science fiction genre ghetto oh you can subvert all the things there's like all the stuff you can get away with doing oh jesus i mean i can i can put together an episode on a single episode of uh fraggle rock where they talk about like well we shouldn't eat the doozers stuff um because they're building it and it's it's environmentalism right Mm -hmm. and it goes the wrong way because the doozers are like (laughs) I guess we're going to have to move to somewhere where people will enjoy our architecture because they liked that. The, yeah, they had purpose. They were building things for people to eat. And then pretty soon the whole place is overrun with doozer shitty work. And so it's like, it's fat. It's a great episode. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You can do that. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, cool. What are you, uh, what are you reading? What am I reading? Well, I'm reading a lot of student work, which Ugh, I don't recommend don't anybody. I don't recommend people. anybody. Well, I just I, got I, us to Hope Punk, and you're depressing yeah. them again. <laughs> then like, I oh, it doesn't read up. shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, right now, right. I I don't I don't really have very much to recommend. Although I will, mm-hmm. uh, very strongly recommend 
um, if you can find it, and I'm sure it's probably available online somewhere, the original comic book adaptation of The Dark Crystal mm-hmm. is, uh, number one, a, a remarkably good example of a cinematic adaptation. Mm-hmm. And number two, there are some elements in the comic adaptation that bring some additional depth into the story. And so if you're a fan of the original film or of Rise of Resistance, I strongly recommend that you seek that out and and take a look at it because it's, it's a great, it's a great piece of comic art that I don't think has gotten very much attention. Yeah. Well, just like, so that's my recommendation. Okay. I'm I'm gonna recommend you go watch Age of Resistance like straight up. You don't even have to see the original movie for it to work. Although if you do, it's probably better because you'll get the references more. It's kind of like if you watched Episode One, you could watch Episode One as the first one that you watch, or you could watch Episode Four as God intended, and then all the I've got a bad feeling about this shit makes sense a lot more because it becomes yeah. an echo. Yeah, but I do think uh, the Dark Crystal movie. Is a good one, but you don't have to watch it to enjoy Age of Resistance, but it does help. Okay. So but right. I strongly suggest people go watch Age of Resistance. Cool, cool. Cool. Well, uh, where do you want to be found? Um <laughs> if anywhere. Nowhere. Okay. Nowhere. Fair enough. Um, I am a shadow uh in the warp. Don't don't come looking for me. Uh, but in seriousness, we collectively uh, can be found online at www.geekhistorytime.com. Uh, we can collectively be found on Twitter for as long as that platform continues to survive uh, because it's doing complete shithole. Yes. Um, but but if you're looking for us specifically, we can be found there as Geek History Time. Um, and that's pretty much it for me. Oh, I do. However, want to mention that, of course, you're listening to us right now. So you've found us either on our website or on one of these streaming services, uh, from which, uh, we can be found, uh, wherever it is that you have found us, please take the time to subscribe. If you haven't done it already, please give us a review. Give us the five stars that you know, uh, Damien certainly has earned for the work he put in for the for the research for for this episode and all of the others uh, that he's done. Um, and yeah, how about you? Uh, let's see. You can find me. You will find me on February third at Henry's Bar, uh, doing capital punishment. Uh, that will be a lot of fun. Please bring proof of vaccination and ten dollars, and then eat there as well. Want to make sure they make money off of us. Uh, and we're able to pay people so we can come back there. We're trying a new venue. So symbiotic uh, relationship. You were all part of draw. Exactly. So come, come check that out. Otherwise uh, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's other places, but I, I do like just rate, subscribe and review on this thing um, and uh, come back and listen next week when Ed talks about something uh, far less puppety. So, cool. Well, you don't know. <laughs> I might do Farscape. Who knows? I might. I might decide. I'm I waiting. Gotta, like you know. Yeah. Well, I uh, am going to go ahead and sign off. So for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, peace. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>